One of the things that I've learned is that the more we scale, the more I need to fire myself from different jobs and spend time on things that only I can spend time on. And that requires me to find the right people and those right people to have those specialized skill sets and then empower those people to do those things. The thing that makes you successful the first 18 months is the thing that'll stop you from being successful the next 18, Very right? You smart. go from brute force to strategic. And yeah. the more I have my eye focused on the future, the more likely you are to handle that. The more I have my eye focused on day to day, I think the more likely I am to miss what we need to do month to month. Welcome to season four of Perpetual, where you'll get the hottest takes and insights on what's happening in the constantly shifting world of media and marketing. I'm Adam Ryan. Let's go. All right, uh, my man, Elliot. Uh, I'm so happy you're here. Uh, we go a ways back, but uh, appreciate you coming on the pod. Yeah, this is a big deal. This, this is my most listened to podcast, uh, according to Spotify Rap. This is really exciting for me to get asked on here. I feel like every time I talk to you, I learn something. So the fact that I get to to listen to myself on the, the show is pretty cool. I appreciate that. Uh, you might have been the only one in 2023 that listened to it the most, but uh, I think today people are going to be excited to learn a little bit about how you've been tackling fantasy life. And uh, yeah, let's dive into it. Yeah, let's do it. Cool. So can you, for everyone, just lay out a little bit of the vision of fantasy life and, and what you all are trying to achieve? Yeah, we're trying to become fantasy football and sports betting for all, right? A, a fantasy and sports betting focused around football media company built off of the back of the world's most engaged fantasy football newsletter and launching different verticals uh, from our national radio show to our TV show with LG channels to our website, YouTube, audio, build out all these different verticals, including social and almost create a morning brew meets bar stool, just a fantasy football and sports betting year round, 365 day engagement, just interact with the audience and then create the ultimate media platform. And then on top of it, you have maybe the most uh, lovable, likable man in the space, Matthew Berry, as the founding partner as well. When you kind of take a step back at what you're the last two years, you guys are two years old. You've come on the scene in a strong way. You have an amazing lineup of investors. Every, you name the superstar athlete. They've, they're on the cap table. You know, your newsletter subscribers have grown rampantly uh, faster than almost any publication I've seen. In the last two years, if you had to go back and say, man, this is what worked. Um, this is like what, what, what we did well. What would that be? It's a great question because it's really hard to narrow it down to one individual thing. If I had to, I would say it's the team. We've hired incredibly well from our talent to our backend staff to people who are innovative and creative and being able to be empowered by someone like Matthew Berry, who believes in this team and puts his name behind it, has allowed us to accelerate to levels and, and growth levels that competitors simply couldn't do on this time frame. And now the thing that's so exciting for me is the first two years, so much about it is building the foundation. Now we get to build off of it. To your point, this is this is a little humble brag, but I, I want to tell the story publicly. Uh, that was so cool for me is when um, I'm signing paperwork and my name and Joe Burrow's name are worth the same amount on a piece of paper. It's a really cool. <laughs> it'll never happen again the rest of my life. But that it was a really cool moment for me. Yeah, I love that. Well, one day when uh, Fantasy Life has its growth, uh, that equation will change. But I, I love that. So the team is obviously super important. You know, you guys are, are two years old. Tell us about the team structure today. What does that, how did you kind of like build that out strategically in, in various departments? I think it's really about recognizing strengths within individuals and understanding what your growth goals are, right? I have a 
really diverse background from being a content creator to running different businesses in the space. But one of the things that I wanted to do at the start was separate the business side and the content side and have different people with, with specific goals in those areas. And then once you do that, you need the right content creators in order to get the reach. And that's where you kind of get the barstool method of Dave Portnoy is the superstar that has really developed people like Big Cat and PFT and the others, right? And you use that halo effect, that umbrella. And Matthew Barry, it's one of those cheat codes of no one can ever replicate what he did because the space is too big, too saturated now, but you can have legitimate stars underneath him that he can give a lot of credence to. And hiring people like Wayne McFarlane and Kendall Valenzuela and Peter Overzet and Matthew Friedman and Ian Harditz, we've been able to really develop that. And on the business side, people with a background and a specialty, right? So people who really understand sales, people who understand growth and allowing them to focus on those different areas. I think one of the things that I've learned is that the more we scale, the more I need to fire myself from different jobs and spend time on things that only I can spend time on. And that requires me to find the right people and those right people to have those specialized skill sets and then empower those people to do those things. What have you fired yourself from lately? I've taken a big step out of sales over the last couple of years. I'm trying to fire myself more and more from the day-to-day operations. I think uh, one of the things I'd like to say is the thing that makes you successful the first 18 months is the thing that'll stop you from being successful the next 18, right? You go from brute force to strategic. And the more I have my eye focused on the future, the more likely you are to handle that. The more I have my eye focused on day-to-day, I think the more likely I am to miss what we need to do month to month. For any net new startup growing, I think that phase, that transition is just so relatable and so real. And doing that takes humility also, right? You're like, hey, I'm not as good at this anymore. And I've had to do that. I think most people, most people in that situation. It's a challenge too, right? The, so often what gets you someplace is your ability to execute, your ability to roll up your sleeves, your, your willingness to kind of figure out how to solve this problem. But you realize that when you need to move at certain speeds that, that's the same thing that can hold you back. You need to have people specialize there. So it's to your point, it's humility. And it's 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 a willingness to do things that you haven't done. But I like to say, like, to get places you've never been, you have to do things you've never done, right? And being open to that mindset. You mentioned your team. I think being around you, the energy is always there. Matthew's very energetic. You've hired really smart people. And one of the things that I think is unique, and there's a lot of media companies like this, right? Like with Workweek, we cover so many categories. I'm okay if someone doesn't have like a crazy passion for like franchise or HR and they can still be successful. But I think that's a different thing with what you all do, right? It's a passion. It's a passion game. And I always say when, you know, in content, there's what's, I would say like need to haves, which is like normally like I need that because there's like, I need to read the news about my industry because like regulation changes. Like if I don't, I could get fired. And then there's like nice to haves, which like sports and entertainment always fall into that too. And the nice to haves though, the ones that win are the ones that like bring out the most passion, right? Like they're like, get people the most excited. And then it almost feels like it is a need to have because you're so passionate about it. That reflects though in your team, right? Like how they sell, how they talk, how they build, how they operate. How do you vet Besides just like asking for, you know, their, their own insight, but how do you build it like a team that's so passionate while still balancing that skill set? And how do you assess that? More importantly, I guess the question is, how do you assess that balance of passion versus skill set? I think the skill set is what's most important. The passion, I think, just comes through, right? Because passion, I think, is the number one thing that people can see. It's authentic. It creates uh, connectivity. 
And fantasy football, especially, is so community-oriented that if you try to fake a love for fantasy football around people that are obsessed with it, live, eat, sleep, and breathe it every single day, it's going to just be so obvious. I mean, you know, the average person plays three to four leagues. I was in 400 last year across best ball, and people are like, you are a crazy person. And then we'll talk to people about, oh, you only did eight drafts last night? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, it's just, it becomes so obvious. And I think it's it's passionate people. And I think one of the things that I also love is that I don't just want people within the company who want to do 400 best ball drafts. I want the person who plays three redraft leagues and is talking smack to their family members who, is, who are really enjoying it. Because I think one of the things that we can get lost in as content creators is who are we creating the content for? Especially in an industry where, you know, you grow up and you want to impress someone like Matthew Barry and you think your content needs to speak to Matthew. Your content needs to speak to your audience. So finding that range and balance allows us to create range and balance in our content. The authenticity obviously comes through, but I think it's so impressive how you're doing that. And for everyone building companies, I think it's like this underlying successful opportunity to find things that are passion for like for work week. I try to find people who are passionate about our creators, right? Like that's like actually the driving force, not necessarily the industries, but like balancing that and having that come through is always like so, so important. When you look at the channels that you're in, you know, most startups that I talk to and give advice to, I'm like, just stay focused in one channel for a while. You guys are in serious radio, you have newsletters, you are all over socials. I mean, you're in all the channels uh, and, and doing what from an outside perspective, like relatively well. The lesson that I learned from you all in that process was you partnered with people, for example, in radio to like make that more successful. Can you tell everyone a little bit about your strategy around like partnerships and how you've been able to do that to propel to new channels? Yeah, it's, it's funny because one of the questions I always get asked is, what are you going to do more sports? And my answer is when I feel like we're the best at the NFL and I feel like we're well on our way to being that, we can start looking at that. But startups so often, I feel like they try to go in 19 different directions of doing things good. And in order to be a disruptor, in order to make a difference, you want to do things great. That's how you make noise. And to your point on partners, right, SiriusXM is a national brand. It's an opportunity to bring a lot of awareness to what we're doing. And we have very talented content creators to be able to use that umbrella of Matthew Berry, that name, and get the, your name in the door. You're then able to build your brand, basically renting other people's audiences, right, and then getting paid from it from a content licensing standpoint. And you have to ask yourselves, well, am I renting audience? The same way I'd be renting audience on social versus owning them on a newsletter or website, right? But what I'm doing is establishing my brand and I'm getting reps for people and I'm proving out to, I'm, I'm adding validity to fantasy life. When we go out and we partner with places like Buffalo Wild Wings and WebEx, it adds validity when they understand those things. So I'm not just explaining to them how valuable our audience is, but it gives us size and scale overnight as well. So licensing is something I think is highly misunderstood for a lot of people. Um, they don't actually understand how it works at all. Industry Dive on like a totally different basis in B2B, like did a lot of licensing for RSS blog posts for B2B. And that was interesting. You guys are doing licensing. Can you tell everyone like a little bit to define that and how it kind of works? Yeah, I think there's there's multiple angles, right? There's syndication where you own the content, but other people can put it on their channels. And there's licensing where ultimately you're basically contracting out your talent, your your video editing, everything else, your content creators to create uh, content for other platforms. Um, and then in return for that, you have, depending on what the deal structure is, like with LG, it's the Fantasy Life Show. 
And then they have Matthew Barry and Golden Tate and Marcus Grant and all kinds of major talented people on top of our staff, right, that they would never have access to otherwise. And so they get name and brand validity from day one. And, you know, we get paid for that content. But we don't own that. We're growing other platforms, not necessarily our own. But at the same time, to me, it's always a major brand play where we can grow our brand. I don't think people realize just how big fast channels are um, and that they're in the homes of everybody. Well, and what you're seeing, right, is like your newsletter growth is like phenomenal. You uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's like at least 200 to 300,000 organic newsletter subscribers. Yeah, that's that's about right. We have over 400,000 subscribers to the newsletter. We've, you know, really prioritized from paying not just volume, but quality, because I think that engagement is ultimately what matters to your audience and, and studying that the value of individual people. But these platforms, I mean, it's it's marketing 101, right? People don't recognize a brand until they've seen it six or seven times. And then each time it makes it easier to convert them as well. So we're able to do this, grow our audience, grow our content creators, and then funnel those people back into our own channels to grow organically our newsletter and website. That's what those partnerships have you know, really unlocked is it's profitable, great growth on your core asset. That then feeds back into better dollars, better return. And there's probably a case that, you know, those partnerships are harder to operate and distractions and things like that. But when they're driving results for the core business, they're always worth it, particularly when you're not, when you're still making money off of it. And I think that's the like fine line for anyone that's like exploring that is if you do these partnerships, does it really drive back to your core business with the brand? And if it doesn't, and it's just like a little bit of money or kind of ego, eh. but if it is where you can like get people to tease that and you talk about it, and that's the winning ticket for those type of t- types of deals. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. It's, you know, for us, we're always evaluating what our margins are whenever we're discussing any type of deal, but we always view things through an opportunity score lens as well. Of What does this do for the brand? What does this do for growth? What does this do to develop content creators? What does this do to establish yourself as a more reputable brand to everyone else to align yourself with some of the biggest LG and Sirius XM are as big as it gets in those platforms. And it's, it's a massive opportunity, but it needs to be done right. One of the things that I was so impressed with last year, uh, really your first hard year, the first season last year in 23 or in 22, I guess, was you were convincing massive brands, Buffalo Wild Wings, right? To spend in newsletters and digitally. And I study this medium all the time. That just doesn't happen. Walk us through your value pitch to these large consumer companies of like why a medium of newsletter matters. Um, And I'd love to then later compare how that compares to like other pitches. I think it's twofold, right? There's one on the what medium they're buying into and two on what audience they're buying into. Yeah. On the medium, (laughs) this sounds a little familiar, Adam. It might be because I stole this line from you, but you're kind of in the hits or the habits industry. And we show that 89% of our consumers view us as part of their daily habit. And once you have that, that's incredibly valuable. But we're also in the hits industry in terms of August and September. You know, if you if you look at Google search trends, we're 400%. Fantasy football is 400% more searched than the Dallas Cowboys, which is America's number one team. So it is something that people massively uh, engage with. And our newsletter is a platform that people are coming back to on a daily basis. And you're getting to not only integrate your brand to people who consider this part of their daily habit, but 
behind the biggest name in the history of fantasy sports. And that's such a unique value proposition. And, you know, so many people want to get into football. Football can be tough to get into. And fantasy football, what we've done through all of our research is they're the more engaged audience. They over-index in everything, whether it's buying new products, willing to adapt, average salary, average education. One of the stats I love is that someone who bets on a game watches that game on average 21 minutes longer than someone who does not. We're talking about where people are fighting for 10, 15 seconds attention on social media, and you got people who won't turn off the game because they're engaging in that. Once they want to engage in that, they want to engage the supporting content that goes into all of it. So we're talking about a highly habitual audience that is the most valuable audience in sports and it creates a really unique value proposition for a lot of companies that want to get into football and aren't sure the right avenue to do it. And we present that opportunity for them. I love that. I forgot about my hits and habits line. I'm going to use that. It probably need to be reserviced, but you know, that's so fascinating because one of the issues, and I brought this up to you uh, for full transparency, everyone, I'm on the advisory board of, of Fancy Life and I, Elliot's number one fan, uh, always have been uh, since the day I met him. But, you know, one of my issues that I brought up, I didn't bring up going into new sports ever. I like the focus of football. I worried about seasonality. And that was like my big question and kind of undercurrent. You now have gone through it. And this happens just for context. You know, I think seasonality happens in all media businesses. In our business, like People do not make HR decisions in July. They're not buying HR software in July. It's just like they're on vacation. They don't care. Like every business has seasonality in some aspects, whether it's as obvious as football, probably not right, but it does exist. How strategically did you think through not having your revenue kind of fall off a cliff, not having your engagement fall off a cliff? Like how did you, how did you work through that? It starts with the engagement. That's the easiest way to not get the revenue to fall off a cliff is to show that you can maintain engagement with your audience. To your point, like, listen, am I going to sit here and try to convince people that March is the same as August? No, absolutely not, right? There's seasonality and there are peaks and valleys of fantasy football. But I think a few things have happened. There's been a massive takeover with content like Dynasty and or platforms like Dynasty and Best Ball, where you can go to Underdog right now and you could start drafting teams for 2024. And those drafts are filling every few minutes. Like people are obsessed with this year round. And two is I think we forget just how much football is in the news consistently. It doesn't matter if it's May, March, April, like it is the number. If you go on ESPN, it's the number one thing they're going to debate is Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes. And people want to continue those football conversations in different, more meaningful ways and start preparing, start planning, start engaging with all that content. So what we've learned is there are definitely peaks and valleys, and it's important for us to to maintain everything. It's important for us to show brands the value of that audience throughout the course of the year and set those deals up longer to protect ourselves in those situations. Um, But also that there's an audience out there that is really looking for this content on a consistent basis and we're providing it to them in a higher quality, more engaging way than competitors. And we're seeing them stay with us all year long. Yeah. I mean, the, the point of longer contracts, I mean, I think this is a, it's a move that a lot of the older media companies have leaned into. Right. But there's such a huge difference of doing a three-month contract versus 12-month, right? And to your point, I heard through kind of the grapevine that The Athletic has really started to help the New York Times with advertising with sports and winning over more and more sports like Michelob Ultra and you know people like that. And the Times now in the paper are getting those sports advertisers into the Times. And there's no different than having hero products, right? We, we do this. Everybody always has hero products and you, you advertise. And with you all, right, like I think that's what you've been leaning into is, hey, 
you want this prime spot in August, October, but like you will also then have to be here in February and March. And holding that hero product over someone's head, if your product is good enough, really helps your business not like totally lose that revenue in the next half because no one's going to buy a net new in March or April. I mean, you, you couldn't have said it better than myself, right? If you have that carrot to give them of this is the draft week, this is the number one thing searched about fantasy, fo- uh, this fantasy football for this three-week period. You want to be in front of the most engaged Ravage fans that are seeking products like yours. You don't get to just buy those three weeks and kind of disappear, right? Because there's a lot of competition for that. And you're able to leverage that and protect yourself for for year-long deals. Tell us a little bit, that day in the life a little bit. You get to work with a guy who's on national TV every Sunday in the fall. You have a slew of fun investors. You got your Revis Island jersey out there. (laughs) What's it been like operating a space that you love so much and are so passionate about? Like, what's been the... What's kind of been the biggest win for you? I'll be honest. It's, it's been so fun. Like, it's been so challenging. I think the thing that I've learned the most is to listen, that I surround myself with smart people here at this company, the advisory board, the investors. I've gotten incredible opportunities to meet with truly gifted, talented people. I, I include, I very much include you in this. And I've learned to try to talk second, to ask questions, to pick people's brains, to to humble myself, to make it not about that I'm in charge, but it's it's about learning as much as possible. And it's been just an endless source of knowledge. And, you know, from the Matthew Barry perspective, it's like what you see is what you get on TV. Like he is one of the most authentically like he's just an authentic guy. He's a good guy. He's like the number one guy you want to go have a beer with. He is he is so smart. He is like when you see him walk in a room and his presence and ability to capture attention is unlike anything I've ever seen. Uh, his storytelling ability, his creativity. But also one of the things that I've really appreciated about Matthew is his empowerment of me. He listens. He It's not just, I'm Matthew Barry, my name's on the front, but how do we brainstorm and how do we solve these problems together? Elliot, I need you to go take care of these things and everything else. And it's just, it's grown me so much as a leader. It's grown me so much in my career, but I think it's also just grown me as a person. It's been the best two years. It's been the most challenging two years of my life, like hands down. I just, I love to try to get better. I love to try to try to be better than I was the day before. And when you surround yourselves with the investors, the advisors, and the talented people on this team, it's like impossible not to. You guys perfected, uh, I had this strategy at work week early on that I called Army of Advisors, um, where I just tried to sign a bunch of people that I looked up to early on. And I had no like set meetings with them. And I just would reach out to them if I had questions. And you guys kind of did that, but like way better with way more press. <laughs> like really, really impressive people. I think it's like such a good thing for companies and CEOs and founders to do in media, but potentially all businesses is just like surround yourself with a bunch of smart people and you're going to be your foundation and floors is going to be lifted. I spent so much time planning 2024 and I then reached out to every advisor and asked if I could get 30 minutes to an hour of their time to just run them through different ideas. You were one of these people. Some of my ideas, you're like, I think that's great. Some of your ideas, you're like, walk me through why you're thinking this. And what it did was it made me think holistically about every single thing we wanted to do, made me realize different holes in my strategy and save myself from making different mistakes, but also opened my eyes to all kinds of different possibilities. And now the company is in a better strategic position because we've been able to have all all that influence. So I think so many people get to a position where they 
they've worked so hard to be in charge and they're like, this is my moment to show that I know what's best. And I think the the best thing is to realize that they're always going to be more accomplished, smarter people than you. And the more you can surround yourself with them, the better. Yeah, absolutely. It's why I do this podcast so I can learn from people like you. So we are releasing this uh, right before the Super Bowl. So we got Niners. We got the Niners coming on strong. McCaffrey's got the story going on, but the Chiefs, Taylor Swift, Mahomes going for three, Andy Reid going after Belichick. It's like all sorts of storylines. What do you got? What do you, what do you think is going to happen? Uh, I got the Chiefs. I, I'm going to continue to rock with Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs. His numbers are absurd until they can't do it anymore. I know that there's a lot made up of the weapons and the lack of receivers, but with Rice's improvement, their offensive line, how good their defense is playing. And, you know, Kyle Shanahan has shown that he kind of changes. He gets more hesitant uh, in big games, which is, you know, I, I don't like when coaches stop being themselves. What what got you someplace is who you should be in those moments. Yeah. Um, and if you want a fun bet, this I don't actually this is probably not a fun bet, but Chiefs second half unders are 18 and two this year. Uh, hit again last week where three points were scored in the second half. Not something that most people expect to bring up at their Super Bowl party, but if you want to be sharp, oh, I'm I'm taking the bet right now. We're gonna. I'm, <laughs> I, this is why my guy. This is one. Of, I was like, I I know he's got something for me here. That 18 and two on the under in the second half. It's like one of the most obscure things, and then. Uh, like last week, the Chiefs came out hot. The, their defense has adjusted really well, and the, their offense has struggled to make big plays all second half. And it's, it's one of those situations where, like, that trend is really strong. 90% is an absurd hit rate in sports betting. I also, by the way, I'm pulling for the Chiefs. I'm, I love the McCaffrey-Shanahan storyline of, like, father-son, and that's a good one. And I think that Brock Purdy is a great storyline. But I think Mahomes... Is going to get three. I think, honestly, this hasn't been said a lot. I think Travis could say, like, if he wins, it could be like, I'm out, too, uh, with his brother before his head totally falls off. Yeah, so I'm, I'm pulling for them because I think they're, I, I agree. But I have a sneaky suspicion if they win, this is Travis's last year. I agree with it. I, I think they're out. And also, he has such a big media career ahead of him. And he has publicly talked about how he's had numerous concussions and he just stayed, kept himself in the game. Like, I mean, he's... He's beat up and uh, with three, he's already pretty much a lock for the Hall of Fame, but with three, three Super Bowls, he's in. He's going to be first ballot. He's yeah. going to go up as a top five tight end ever. And him and his brother are going to go at the same time. It'd yeah. be awesome. And he just, and now he has the most receiving yards in playoff history, right? Him and his brother could go at the same time. That would be what a cool experience that would be. Yeah. I don't get tired of greatness. I feel like people get tired of people seeing the win. So no one wants the Chiefs to win and no one wants, but and then they these guys retire, and then we spend all this time about missing them, and wow, what an enjoyment it was to watch them play, and everything else we see with LeBron now, Kobe before that. Now you don't you can't find someone that dislikes Tom Brady. Four years ago, you couldn't find someone that liked him, and I think that Mahomes is starting to get into that category. And I'm just over here sitting there like, this is a man that does stuff that we've never seen on a football field consistently, and it's yeah. it's fun. And I don't care that Taylor Swift is in the audience. That doesn't offend me. I think it's it's all good fun. It's more eyeballs in the NFL. It's good for my company. It's good for everybody involved in sports. Matthew and I engaged some tweets on uh, earlier this season about her. And I mean, like, it's just healthy. It's just like brings in a new environment. I mean, last week, my wife was like sending me all the memes and like, I can't say how many times that she sent me playoff memes uh, in the past. So I think it's just mm-hmm. like a great thing for business like yours. I think there's two two calls here. Chiefs under 
uh, is one. And then, uh, and you're going to move the line. Uh, let's, let's hope we move the line on that one, uh, after we get our bets in. And then the, the second is that, uh, maybe Travis retires if they win. I think those are both, both good ones. I don't know if you saw this, but on FanDuel, you can bet I went on Travis proposes to Taylor Swift after the game. No, not happening. She's too secluded. She won't let it happen. But I, I will say that you better like the Chiefs to win if you think that's going to happen. He's not. Yeah, exactly. He's not losing it for Boston. No. All right. Last question. Um, five years from now, what makes you most excited about this industry and, and what you guys are working on? Five year questions are probably the most difficult to answer in, in startups when I think about just how much things are consistently changing. But I think that five years from now, fantasy life will be a test case uh, and an improving example to a lot of media companies of how to do things right, how to build a team environment, how to attack things where you're growing a company that's best for the user, best for the individual that's attached to you, setting examples of what it means to establish culture and value people's personal growth and what you can do uh, establishing your own brand. It doesn't have to be a major media brand and you can kind of continue to grow. If we do that, I would consider it a massive success. Awesome. Amazing. Uh, Thank you, friend, for coming on. I really appreciate it and look forward to next time. Have a great Super Bowl weekend and we will uh, talk soon. Appreciate you, Adam. Thanks for listening. If you want deep insight and hot takes on the world of media, make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. And if you enjoyed this episode, share with a friend. I'll see you next time.